You let Do you it. have a response? No, I plead the fifth. <laughs> Typical. Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineers own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. Trying to feel those positive hey, hey. vibes. Yeah. It's the last day of the month, January 30. What is it? January 30th? Thank goodness. To heck with this month. <laughs> Get rid of it. Wow. Ready it was move on to February. Okay. It's negative one degree outside. Not only has the overall attitude been cold towards me, but the actual temperatures are cold. Wow. I'm headed to Wisconsin tomorrow, mm. and it's actually going to be warmer in Wisconsin. How uh, warm? Then, what are we talking? It's kind of all over a the place. Only 10 degrees. Okay. It'll be both colder and warmer. The, on the low side, it's going to be like minus 16. Oh, yeah. There you go. But uh, I'm traveling with someone from Logan, and it was minus 15 in Logan today. In fact, two days ago or yesterday, there's a place called Logan uh, Peter Sinks in Logan. Okay. Logan Canyon. Mm -hmm. And often... It's the absolute coldest place in the United States, and it hit that yesterday. How cold? Minus 62 Fahrenheit. What? Yeah. It's Shimmy. not a city. It's up in the mountains. My wife and I hiked it this no past thanks. summer. It's, it's around 9,000 feet, and there's like this, there's these, the geography just sinks, and so you'll get cold air trapped there, and it just gets colder and colder. I, I got some feedback on the podcast, not to take away from... Peter Sinks. Okay. Um, we need to turn the volume up to 11. Oh. Evidently, our audio <laughs> comes through kind of quiet. Yeah. Kind of quiet. Well, actually, this last episode should have fixed that. There was another issue with the audio on this last episode. But oh, no. in, in the... It was fine. But in the past, there's this, uh, there's this standard volume, loudness, and the unit is called LUFS. And in the past, I would always standardize it to that. And I stopped, I stopped doing that recently, and that caused it to be inconsistent. Mm. Yeah, so it actually we should needed, be fixed. We needed to standardize based on other podcast volume levels. Exactly. So minus 16 luffs is the target. <laughs> okay. I did not know that you were going to talk about this, but <laughs> I've got it under probably, control. Probably. Hey, just for our listeners, this is a learning, this is a learning podcast. Yeah. For us, too. Well, what was funny is last episode, we had a brief discussion about uh, watching the videos before they get posted, and you were giving me a hard time for not doing it. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm thinking, I've, I've got the system down. Sure enough, this last op uh, audio episode, there was like a little bit of reverb in there. Mm. I don't know how it came about, but I should have caught that. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard. Technology is, is hard. It's tough. It's tough for us. Um, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> I wanted to bring up something, but I'm not going to. Um, you basically brought the list today. I do have a list. Yeah. I, to be honest, have done a terrible job and am just here for color commentary okay. on this one. Okay. And I hope I can provide anything. You're usually good at that. And to be honest, 
you usually bring the topics. So it just happened to turn out that I brought a list today and so you if, didn't. If these sound boring to, to the <laughs> listeners. That is a risk. That is a risk. <laughs> it's Tyler's fault today. I think we're good. I think we're good. We got some yeah. good stories here. Uh, you, you, I know what the first one is. Well, I can go just, in any order. Just the name of it is off-putting. I struggled uh, saying it out loud before we started broadcasting <laughs> here, so I'm not looking forward to introducing it, which means I'm actually going to let you do it. No. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> All right, so I think this week we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the news that... Uh, that has come up over the past week or so. Uh, the first news item is a story out of the MIT Lincoln Laboratory. And apparently an intern, an intern at the MIT Lincoln Laboratory developed a new novel propeller that is based on a toroid. It's a toroidal propeller. And the idea being that whether it's in air or water, it reduces the sound levels at certain frequencies. Um, so have you, have you piloted a drone? Have you flown a drone around or have you been yep. around a drone? Yep. Sure as heck have. Like, they're annoyingly loud, mm -hmm. right? Like little mosquitoes. It's definitely big mosquitoes. Yeah, and it's one of those things where if you're flying it, you're like, I know it's loud, but it's okay. If you're hiking or something and someone else is flying it, you're just cursing that thing in the sky, right? <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you're ruining yeah. my experience. Yeah. So it's universally accepted that those things are annoying. Could Is we it? make them quieter? Yeah, it's universally accepted. It's funny you mention <laughs> this because the last camp out I went on, I kept hearing, <laughs> and it was like early in the morning and yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. not a mosquito. And I was just looking for the stupid drone. Yeah. It was fall up in the mountains. Oh and, yeah. Someone's a, getting that sunrise. Oh yeah. Video. Yep. Mm -hmm. For the gram. For the gram for sure. <laughs> so most propellers, I think we can visualize the shape of a propeller, mm -hmm. right? Standard propeller. And they're super loud because of physics. Can I just leave it at that? Physics? Science. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is with, with air, when something's spinning fast, there cre creates like a high-speed pressure or a high-speed um, area and a low-speed area, and then there's a shear force between those two, and that's what creates that annoying sound. Mm. It's very loud. It's that shear force between the two. Interesting. And that happens a lot at the tip of the propeller. So... One of the professors, researchers at MIT had an idea. He put an intern on it and they started experimenting with new novel shapes of propellers that are more toroid shaped. So think about like a, like an O shape and then you just kind of flattened it. Do you think that's a good description? Are you looking at a photo yeah, here? I'm looking at it. Like a flattened O and that essentially eliminates that tip of the propeller entirely. And they have some fancy graphs that show that they have. I want to play this. Okay. I was working on another program developing ionic propulsion for for fixed wing aircraft. Um, so basically able to fly without any moving parts and more importantly to fly very, very quietly. I needed some way to compare that technology to a propeller. But propellers, as we all know, are pretty loud. 
there are different ways to make them quieter and we can look again to wings to see how that works. Back when people were coming up with all kinds of crazy ideas for airplanes in the early 1900s uh, and during World War II, there were a couple of designs that were basically these ring wings. So I wondered what would it look like if you took a ring wing and turned something like that into a propeller. We came up with uh, this, this initial concept of using uh, this toroidal shape, this annular wing shape to make hopefully a quieter propeller. So I had an intern of mine who was just absolutely phenomenal run with the idea where he took the concept and created a bunch of iterations using 3D printers in our technology office innovation laboratory to try out basically different shapes and see you know what works, what doesn't. And then from there, figuring out what are the things that are making that's making this propeller quieter uh the key thing that we thought Whoa. yeah wow right is the fact that you're now distributing the 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 vortices that are being generated by the propeller across the whole shape of it instead of just at the tip which then uh makes it you know, effectively uh dissipate faster in the atmosphere that that tip vortex doesn't propagate as far so you're less likely to hear it Gaining the R&D 100 award was uh, was a little surreal. We all, all right. have this. Enough yeah, pretty it. wild. And that actually is not the only benefit um, in the air. It's also more efficient. It's really incredible. Are you sure? Yeah. According to what? Like It produced more thrust at the same speed. At the same RPM, it produced more thrust. So this could potentially lead to longer run times? It could. Flights? Yeah. Flight I don't know times. what other sort of scenarios could could uh weigh negatively on it for example like we know that uh rotational momentum is a thing mm -hmm. right you you take a you've seen like the science experiment where you grab the handles on each side of a wheel they spin the wheel and you're standing oh, on yeah. like a lazy susan type yep. thing and you spin that <laughs> oh, what that's what it's called. That's so old school. I know. That's but such an old man thing to say. Wait, it is? I bet, I bet if any of our audience is like 25 and under, <laughs> they don't even know what a lazy Susan is. That can't be true. She's not watching. <laughs> She's not paying attention. <laughs> we I both, know. We both look okay. over like, eh? When you point it out, it does seem like an outdated term, but. When's the last time you saw a lazy Susan in a house, on a table, anywhere? Mm, other than know. the di <laughs> i don't know oh my gosh i don't know but it's a turntable All on right. ball bearings anyway the conservation of momentum means that that rotational momentum is conserved whatever maybe you have negative oh effects. my gosh i have a story on this after okay it actually caused a big fight between a friend and i oh wow yeah any An argument any, any argument between friends about physics is a serious it was argument <laughs> So maybe maybe the rotational momentum that's going to be my contribution to this episode. Right on. Well, the other thing here is that it can also be used in water. So boat propellers, which is something that you're a lot more interested in. Yeah, I would think this could be used for boat propellers as well. Um, but as with boat propellers, that it starts to scale up, and as you start to scale up bigger and bigger boats, like the cost of these things to produce these becomes enormous. I think so. I think that would be a limiting factor for really broad adoption i don't know i mean producing propellers mm -hmm. is an expensive endeavor even in the current true fashion true like like a wakeboard boat you've seen those they're usually four four blade props yeah they're cnc'd no, they they are expensive but i don't think this scales up very well so in 
Because if you notice, the cross-sectional area of those is really thin. Mm -hmm. And so as you start to scale that up, I think structural integrity becomes an issue, especially in water, right? Because you have, you consider seawater, you are putting up some boundaries on the types of materials that you can successfully use, the size limitations, the strength of the materials becomes an issue. So I just don't think it scales up. I'm, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just like kind of thinking about some of the issues. And also from what I've researched that the sound uh, improvements are not really the same in water. It's, you're not going to see that same shearing force uh, that produces noise in water. So you're not going to see a huge benefit on the sound side within the water. Uh, but efficiency. But efficiency is there. Hmm. But efficiency is there. It does, a, you lose less water to the outside of the propeller. More of it goes through the propeller, which generates thrust. more thrust. Yeah. Okay. And for those of you that are just <clears throat> listening, I would say that it's, if I were looking at a single prop here, it looks like a, an infinity figure. Oh yeah. Or that's a figure a good, eight. Yeah. That's a good description of it. Um, each side of it is kind of like uh, an O, like Tyler had like mentioned. Like a flattened O. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the Oregon State logo that's been kind of yeah. twisted up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and pulled into 3D mm -hmm. uh, for sure. So this made the rounds this past week. Obviously, tons of drone enthusiasts are like clamoring for an STL file so they can print it and try it out. With these things spinning as quickly as they are, <laughs> balance becomes an issue for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that limits you to, I would say, certain technologies unless you're going to go through and balance them individually. But something like FDM is probably not going to be a good fit. Any filament print is not going to be a good fit, but I would guess that those are resin prints yeah. uh, that they're using, which or would be much easier to balance. by the time they iterated enough, these may have been injection molded. Yeah, potentially. And there is a, there is a company that's already selling boat propellers that use this design. I think it was called, oh, Sharo. Hmm. Sharo. I'm going to look and them they, up. And they're CNCing. They're machining. I hate, I don't know why I use the term CNCing. I, it's not a great term. They're machining uh, these boat propellers. Oh, Charo. it doesn't look how I thought it would look. Ooh. But they, they're about 10x the cost of a standard propeller. They look great. They do look great. Oh, yeah. That doesn't look at all like I thought it was going to look. The boat propeller version is a little bit different. That's sexy. I do dare say. That is a good looking part. Wow. That's neat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Retail, I like it. Retail cost on something like that is about five grand. Holy moly. Which. No. That would be really tough to hit. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough price point to hit if you're printing the part. I mean, this is a tough price point to hit in general. No one's going to buy the dang thing. I mean, five grand, you've got to have some significant fuel savings, things like that. Uh, speed, sure. whatever it is, efficiency, like has to be some serious. Yeah. And then look, the boat versions tend to have more uh, fins. What do they call those? Veins? Blades. Blades? Yeah. Okay, more blades. So yeah, there's a five blade here. There's a lot of three blades. There's four blades. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So they are being manufactured. They're it looks being like manufactured maybe by more than them. I think Sharo licensed the design. Mm. Man. Uh, because well, it looks really cool in a lot of these. 
Well, one of the the unsung hero here is this unnamed uh, intern. <laughs> first and foremost, like let's put that person's name out there for sure, because this seems like a pretty innovative technology. And it's exciting to see where it will go because the propeller itself has been optimized for a hundred years, right? This and is a fairly new technology or new, a novel design. And there are an immense amount of benefits apparently yeah. on the surface of it. On According the to this, it. it improves efficiency, speed and hole shots, which hole shots are important. Because what are hole shots? Imagine being on your old 21 speed bicycle okay. back when you were a kid yep, yep. in high gear and starting from zero. All right. With bullhorns? You, you probably weighed 80 pounds, sopping wet. Probably. You're standing on those pedals trying yeah, yeah, to get yeah. the bike moving. Yeah. The weakness of a boat in general, and there are multi-vane, it's kind of like a turbo, right? Like there are a multi-speed turbos yeah. on the market. There are multi-speed props but for the most part you're in a fixed speed it's like being on a fixed gear bicycle with high speed okay right? so you have to choose do i want a good hole shot or do i want good high speed what's a hole shot though hole shots getting started okay getting got up it. onto plane got it and so like a ski boat you prioritize hole shot yeah so you end up with like what would be like a low gear on a bicycle and you're you're basically stuck in low gear but you hole shot really well okay bass boats are kind of like, like this speedboat right so you you don't totally emphasize whole shot you emphasize speed but if you go too far on the speed side you can't even get up on plane and i've seen guys they have their fishing partner up on the bow of the boat and Got they're it. just they're just wheeling through the water trying to get some weight on the bow oh so speaking of that phenomenon that wheeling that tipping of mm -hmm. the boat um i read somewhere that this style propeller will actually pitch the boat up no less so it keeps the boat more level so the whole boat should rise in the water hmm. rather than the back sinking and the top and the front lifting interesting i'm yeah. seeing some of these graphs this graph that i'm looking at on fishing <laughs> wire the fishing uh -huh. and it's comparing some of these boat props and looks like they had several motors 300 horsepower motor here a yamaha and they've they've graphed the data and it looks looks good. That's interesting. It looks like RPM wise, it's they they match almost one for one up to about two thousand RPMs when then you see a huge separation. And what is that graph? What's the units on that graph? What are they comparing? Uh it says here that's RPMs and I would guess miles per hour. Well, the graph is higher, so we know it's yeah, better. It's, it's mile per, it's mile per hour. Okay. Oh yeah. So for a given speed, you have so at three thousand RPMs, you're yep. going ten point six miles an hour with with a standard prop and twenty one point seven. Yeah, that's with wild. this this prop. One of the companies I'm visiting in Wisconsin is a boat engine manufacturer, by the way. So this is very timely. You just never know what's going to pop up on our calendars, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Props. There's a lot of science in propellers. Oh, of course. In standard propellers, this just opens up a whole new world. Wow. It's exciting. And so cool. I don't think this happens without 3D printing. Right? I, I mean, this is this is up my alley. Because in fishing, like competitive bass fishing, a big 
component of it is a yeah. boat race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you're talking about fuel savings and speed, this could be the difference between getting to a spot and not and making one less fuel stop or sure. or beating your competitor to a spot. Sure. Oh man, this is cool. <laughs> and I guarantee to like high performance, like boat racing, uh, bass fishing, things like that, where a competitor is willing to pay for that advantage. Yeah. Could be a thing. Yeah. Plus I've, there are like, they call it throwing a blade, but a blade can fly off your prop and it can cause a boat accident. This happens in racing. It happens in bass fishing. Oh, wow. So it's just instantly imbalanced and just causes and it'll wreaks throw, havoc. Mm-hmm. A blade can weaken and then eventually fly off. Interesting. And I wonder if there are any added strength strength benefits to this because it does look just like a more complete ah yeah that's the thing is i don't think there are strength benefits here i if anything i look at that thing though i know it's beautiful cool do you think the finish on that is polished yeah definitely not a coating or anything polished looks polished that's yeah that's impressive i like those would you put that on your desk as just like a piece of uh, I mo- put modern one on art? A boat. I think one should go on a pedestal, like in your house. I, it's like a piece of art. They should like where I can see this being big in fishing. You you mentioned that it's like noise wise, it's not that great, but yeah, I can think of overall like fishing again. People think about disturbing the water, sure, and chopping up. You know, your standard trolling motor, electric motor, it's pulling your boat around. Um, they, 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 they make like 110 pound feet of thrust. Mm-hmm. Um, this I think would be ideal on a trolling motor setup. Oh yeah. I could see Cause that. it creates a less disturbance in the water. The pulsations, you, you think that they would be less recognizable. And it is fish. that my understanding is most of the sound that's generated underwater is the vibrations of the whole of the whole boat yeah. or whatever the vessel is that create vibrations that's you know the boat motor itself is sending a ton of noise down through the through the like the lower unit because it's a it's a metal casing yeah and it's got a gear drive yeah 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 yeah. and it's it's the vibrations so if if this creates less vibrations good vibrations i guess all sounds vibrations so that's kind of a moot energy point is vibration that is true all right. So, so what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I love that. I actually am really glad you brought that up. And now I'm going to tell my story. Okay. About the fight that I had. What did you okay. call this? Con- what, what was what was the the engineering principle here? The conservation of energy. Yeah. Or, conservation of momentum. Of momentum. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell me if I'm off track here, and maybe we're both not experts on this, but just hear True. me out. True. This is a principle that you learn early on in extreme sports. Okay. True. Uh, especially as it relates to motorized vehicles, dirt bikes, snowmobiles. Uh, you can change the pitch. Yeah. Of And you see it in monster trucks all the time, actually. This is huge okay. with those because they have those massive rotating assemblies, sure. right? And what's the biggest rotating portion on a monster truck? The tires? The tires. So there's a ton of weight there. And what'll happen in even RC cars, right? You hit a jump with that all that rotation happening and yep. you hit the brakes. What happens? The You'll nose pitch. pitches down. Yep. Every time. Totally. Even on a dirt bike when we're not talking huge rotational masses, just a little dirt bike tire. But if, if you watch like the slow-mo replay of a 
motocross big air you see him working the throttle and brakes and brakes yeah what happens when they backflip or the first double backflip remember travis pastrana yeah, yeah totally first double backflip he hits the jump and it's just full throttle yep. and it's you can hear that motor's just wrapped out yeah totally so if you're trying to backflip motorcycle dirt bike uh monster truck four-wheel drive one-wheel drive doesn't matter yep. you throttle that sucker yeah if you want the nodes to come up you throttle it well my buddy bless his soul he had a he had an incident when he was a child so i guess he was riding a borrowed dirt bike he hit a little jump and he said he throttled it off the jump and as soon as the nose went airborne it just sunk on him gravity that's okay. my explanation right okay in his mind, ever since he was a child, he has linked throttling to pulling the nose down. Oh, okay. So I know to anyone who's logical or with any experience, that's exact opposite, right? Like we've seen it in movies, everything. You yeah. throttle to wheelie, right? Which yeah. would be the reverse of what my buddy thought was right. happening. Right. And I tried explaining to him, no, like this isn't. That's not how it works. It's the exact opposite of what you think. And I tried explaining it to him through kinematic, like a, ba a basic kinematic sketch. I showed him, here's like the forces. When you throttle it, which way does the tire go? Now yeah. imagine if I grounded the tire, then the chassis of the motorcycle would then tip. Yeah. Right. I, I tried explaining it in so many ways and it just became this huge argument. And I, and I finally thought, oh yeah, what about all those videos that I've seen where people hit the brakes on a snowmobile totally. midair and pitch it. Totally. So I tried explaining it to him in that way. Like, look, if you can't understand it this way, what do you think's happening when those dirt bikes and, and snowmobiles change pitch midair? Yeah. And he couldn't like, he couldn't explain it to me, but he was willing to fight me. So he wouldn't it. accept it. He wouldn't accept it. And I ended up like, cause I didn't know all the, the engineering principles and yeah. and, the, and the conservation of energy. But that wouldn't have helped. If you're showing him a video and you're just saying, hey, watch this and then explain to me what's happening. And if they can't accept it, then explaining the physics of it is not going to help you. You don't think? No, I don't think so. I, I just felt like explaining like grounding, right? Kinematic grounding. If mm -hmm. if you're talking about this moving assembly, if you grab one of the components of it, the other stuff continues to move about that rotation or whatever. Yeah. Like it you're, changes. You're shifting the perspective. Yeah. And I thought, man, if I can just explain it in that way and it just yeah. didn't link up with him. But what was so funny is that it, it related to that childhood experience. Right. That one experience where he endowed on a dirt bike while he was hitting the throttle. Yeah completely shifted in his mind what happens you know, i believe it when you hit i'm like dude imagine hitting the brakes to do a wheelie yeah it's like it doesn't work that way dude right. you gotta throttle it did you come up with an alternate explanation so you said gravity did you just leave it at that i i told yeah i mean i, I said what you experienced as a kid was totally different you probably weren't carrying enough speed to hit that jump you were probably that's the going thing, too slow it's it's velocity you know vectored upwards right normally is that's what you have because gravity is going to be pulling down all the time this at, at a constant at a constant acceleration so if you're starting flat it's going to feel like it pulled you faster because it has nothing it has no vertical component to overcome but if you had and vertical it's a velocity of time right but the, the, the slower i go 
the more time my rear tire has to be grounded while my front tire gravity is acting. Yeah, on so it, it starts to pivot. Yeah, around so the back tire. It, yeah. gravity's only act. It's acting on both tires, but one is grounded and the other yeah. is not. Yeah. So. I, I just I did try to explain it to him. It wasn't yeah. <laughs> resonating, yeah. but I, I don't know why I ended up going like, look, this even happens when you're airborne. Right. I tried explaining <laughs> it to him. And anyway, it's interesting. That's one. That's a total tangent. But I t- a, a thought experiment that uh, baffles a lot of people is like shooting a bullet. Right. And you ask someone like the <laughs> the uh, we had a UAP there. Yeah. Um. If you have a gun or rifle, say, mm-hmm. and it's pointed horizontal and you fire it and it's three feet off the ground versus you just hold a bullet and you drop it three feet off the ground, which one's going to hit the ground first? It's the same. It's the same. And that blows people's minds because it's the same thing. It's gravity. But if you pitch it up just a little bit, it'll stay longer. It'll stay up longer because it's going to parabolic, parabolically uh, drop. So kind of along the same lines there it's it's wild and that's to me the funnest part about learning about engineering and any of this stuff has been kind of like unlocking some of the secrets that see they're not really secrets they're they're normal concepts but the average joe schmuckatelli is not necessarily thinking like these are the laws that make things work sure so understanding some of those has been it's sure. fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, there are certain things that we experience and if we don't have, a lot of times we just rely on our intuition to explain it. Yeah. You or past I mean? experience. Past experience. And that's the thing, like your body and your mind would learn very quickly. And if it arrived at that conclusion using like a false explanation, then you could go your whole life believing something that's not true. I need to. I see this buddy often enough. Yeah. I need to bring it back up. Just play, and, play the pod for him. <laughs> and just see just see what he thinks. Because what ultimately ended this fight of ours is I said, okay, I'll do the research on this. I'll provide you the data that you need to be proven wrong. But I want to bet. Oh. And I made him, I, I, I said, let's bet like 20 bucks, 50 bucks, like something. Let's bet. And he would not bet me. And I'm like, for as sure as you are about this, I don't think he's very sure. I don't think he's very sure. He just just doesn't want, he doesn't want to admit it. Mm. Well, we're going to find out. Maybe I'll report back to you on how this goes. Cool. Yeah. I wish I could find people to bet against me for like very well uh, established scientific principles. This one was kind of tough, like tough to dig up, at least for me at that time. This was over a decade ago. This might be this argument. Yeah, this oh might be God. 15 years ago. I thought this was like two weeks ago. No, <laughs> this was a long, long time ago. And I remember like Googling this up and like trying to find yeah. the principles that explained yeah. this, this conservation of energy and uh, or momentum. Mm-hmm. And it was energy to conserved too, but it's that's a different thing. Yeah, the momentum. Like when, when all things are rotating, right, and you get launched into the air, there is energy there and you can trap it by yeah. hitting the brakes. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you're moving, you're pitching forward or whatever. You, you're converting it to heat. Yeah. You're, well, you're converting but it that's to That's the energy. Moment, that's the energy. Ro- another, you're just converting a rotation that's already there to another type of rotation. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I lock the brakes up, it's, yeah, anyway. 
uh, let's move on. What okay. else? You got, what else you got on your list? All right. Next, the next one down the list is out of Penn State. Uh, we've talked about the additive manufacturing stuff happening in Penn State here and there. Have we? Yeah. Throughout hmm. throughout uh, don't remember throughout the history of the pod. We we've talked about their master's program in additive manufacturing and various other things. But uh, actually, one of the guys that I've mentioned by name, Tim Simpson, he's related to this story and another woman named Allison Beese. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Beese. Um, they released a data set of laser powder bed fusion, titanium uh, test results and laser parameters. So. On what machine? Uh, it, it, this one happened to be on a 3D systems, the... 950 something like okay. that 950x well at least they released their parameters that's cool yeah well like okay it. so the the purpose here is a broad set of parameters that are varying and then subsequent testing of the tensile bars to reveal mechanical properties which is a data set that can be used for machine learning to help us sculpt better laser parameters so ai machine learning we've been talking about this we've talked about the importance of having a good data set and this is one component of that. Like someone has to generate the data and to have this published, it was published in a journal called Data and Brief, which is a free open access journal, which is awesome because most journals are closed. Anyone in the world can have access to this data. It's not a huge uh, set of data, but it's a good start. And I hope that we see more of this broadly uh, shared. I don't think we will because... Well, we'll see. It depends on who's measure, who's measuring the data and what their incentives are to release it. But for a university to release the data and make it open open source basically enables a lot of, you know, ML startups, for example, that might be interested in harnessing that and helping improve slicing and different things like that. Laser parameters. It's a good thing. So it's just <laughs> I just love to see more of it. Yeah. Because there is immense power in this software, this type of software, to improve the quality of our printed parts. It's huge. I think we'll start seeing more sharing of it when there's a standard for metal AM production. Does that make sense? So as these things start to be acceptable in aerospace and flight transportation in general, once there are some standards, I have a feeling that more of it will be shared. Maybe, maybe you don't think I you don't seem know. so skeptical. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see the, the connection there. Wide adoption. Okay. Wide industry adoption. Okay. Yeah. Cause right now, I mean, where everyone basically is a pioneer at this point, you don't want to share that information necessarily, but as you're trying to get market adoption, sharing is probably a good thing at a certain point. Okay. I see that. You know, we, we kind of see that same thing with the Stratasys materials, for example. Stratasys materials on FDM have historically been closed systems. But due to competitive pressure, they're starting to open that up. I love it. Yeah, it's a good I thing. I love it. It's a good thing. And the whole, the whole industry moves forward when you have open access to information, I think. But individual players maybe don't see the same success as the whole industry. So there's incentives to keep some things close to your chest. I totally understand that. 
there's cost associated with developing this. Yeah. You know, from the, running the machine to the testing, the testing is actually probably more expensive than running the prints, for example. And we're not talking about cheap prints either. You know, these no. are, these are TIE 64 prints on an expensive 3D systems machine. So I actually I, like, I love to see it. I want, I want more of it. Some, some machine vendors have a lot of data. Some machine vendors collect an immense amount of data and they're taking photos of these prints usually twice per build that presents you some limited amount of data, but there's data there that if you can process it, then it's valuable. Like you can take a photo and you can process it for porosity, for example, or out of plane growth, for example. And if you compare that with the laser parameters in the moment and the laser parameters for the previous hundred layers, and then you can compare that from machine to machine to machine to machine, you can learn a lot about that. And if there's some sort of feedback loop to change the laser parameters based on that and incorporate that into future prints, then you will get better prints. But that's a, that's a big task for sure. It's a big task. It's, it's huge. I know, but huge. If Why do people from New York omit the H? Is that a thing? And they, they, uh, they don't just omit the H, they add a Y. Yeah. Huge? Huge. They say huge and, and Houston instead of Houston. Really? Yeah. I haven't noticed that. It's so weird. I, I know someone from Jersey who does it. I know someone from New York who does it. And there's some famous people that do it. Well, I know one person, but I'm Howard wondering. Stern does too. Does he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. These, these personalities. How can <laughs> you just replace an H with a Y? Tell me that. Tell me that. A lot of people would have some gripes about how we pronounce our T's here in Utah. Button. Button and mountain. 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 Yeah. So we don't pronounce our T's very well. Yeah. I do. I do try to make an effort to do that, but button is a little hard for me. I make zero I don't know effort. that anybody does that. Button? You very rarely hear a full hard T on button. I don't know. Button. Button. <laughs> anyway. It does sound lazy. Yeah, it does. Now that, now that we're bringing it up. Mountain. Mountain. <laughs> I, I grew up in the mountains. Um, Sounds normal to me. Let's move on to this next one. This this okay. next this next bullet is really one that I'm interested to talk about. Okay, and this is news to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, all this is news to me every time. Every, yeah, every time this you is... bring something up, I don't think I've ever been like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> Let me just sit That's here and true. rant with you about it. That's not true. You know, I was That's like, not eh, true. so I read in this journal. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> this peer-reviewed journal that I was looking into, I, you know, set up a PDF notifier. <laughs> so I'm just kidding <laughs> with you, but you do do that. Uh, anyway. All right, so this is actually being... Uh, broadly announced today this is real news this is real news to some people yeah well. to some people but so a theme for stratasys since 2020 beep, 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 breaking <laughs> breaking news sorry <laughs> sorry since 2020 stratasys has been on this what they call north star journey which oh sorry you might not Sorry. like it, but it makes sense. No, I, I, we're all on a North Star journey. Are we? I am. Are you? Personally? Mm, probably not. Oh, baloney. Dude, it's... Okay, whatever. <laughs> okay, Let's move so on. anyway, 
the idea being is that they have a goal that they're working towards or like some sort of there's something guiding their way a north star there's a they're being guided towards a destination and in this case it was to be the world leader in polymer printing and be basically the one source for polymer prints anyone needs polymer printing they think stratus is first so that's that's the ultimate goal and they've always well not always but since um like 2013 ish stratasys has had actually no before that so they've for a long time that they've had a business unit that is basically paid parts service bureau contract manufacturing call it what you want but they sell parts and they've been and how doing, are these related how are what related the being the North Star, the Palmer leader, and okay. the services. So there was aspect. there was some conflict there. Stratasys as a whole was saying, hey, we're going to lead the way in polymers only, but they were still selling metal parts and other types of parts, okay. non-printed parts, through Stratasys Direct Manufacturing. So not only, so they had some traditional manufacturing, they had competitive additive machines, they had other things. Yeah, they had laser powder bed fusion, metal printing, they had CNC machining, they had urethane casting, they had gotcha. all sorts of things. And they're going to they're divesting out of that and they're just going to be focused on providing polymer printing as as a service. So so no SDM more, will still be there. Yeah. But no and, more metal parts. Is, is it fair to say like maybe a more popular uh brand name that does kind of the same thing or similar things as like Proto Labs? Yeah. Okay. So if you're familiar with Proto Labs, Stratasys had their own house brand of something similar. They called it Stratasys Direct Manufacturing. And right. you're saying that they are, they're still going to have SDM, but their primary focus now is just, I don't know why I emphasized that word, uh, different parts of that word. Oh, yeah. Um, but their primary emphasis will be <laughs> on parts that they can manufacture. They're not going to use outside technologies. That anymore. I don't know. That I don't know. But they are narrowing the product offering to just polymer printing. No more metal printing, no more mm. urethane casting, that sort of thing. Why? Well, I think it has to do with this uh, consolidation of expertise. Like, hey, this is what we want to focus on. We don't really want the distraction of these other things. They don't really align with mm. our goal right now. So let's put them off right now. Okay. I will say metal printing as a service is challenging. You know, we were just talking about those propellers. Like it would be really difficult to be cost competitive on that if you're trying to print it. It's it's a tough business for sure. I, yeah, not to mention it's kind of an iterative process a lot of times. Yeah. So there is some, some waste yeah. there. I'm interested in why they would move away from like metals, for example, because we've talked about, you know, maybe Stratasys comes out with a metal machine someday. Yeah. This could signal that maybe they don't. Mm, I wouldn't read. I wouldn't read too much into it. You wouldn't? No. I would. I love I reading into things like this. I would, I would say it helps solidify that for the near future on the span of years, I would say. You have to imagine SDMs like their greatest beta resource oh i agree with that you know because they have beta testing at big oems and all that all over the country but 
you have your own in-house producer of parts where you get to use some of your competition's sure. stuff as well. Sure. That's like, that's great data. I think it's a great asset to have as part of a, if you're an OEM manufacturer They're and, you're, and you're building machines, printing parts is essentially tapping into market demand and it gives you a, one of the best insights into what types of parts and at what volume, what quantity people want. So I do think that you lose some of that. Um, but it also is very capital intensive, you know, metal printing, it scales up by adding machines. So it's not a cheap, uh, business to get into. Can I ask you, you know, based on your industry knowledge, (laughs) are there any other like major print OEMs that have, um, an SDM like product? Well, let's see. I don't think as closely connected or intertwined together uh, because Stratasys was essentially one company with different business units in it. Mm-hmm. They, they were operated essentially like the same company uh, for the most part. And um, you do see partnerships between OEMs, uh, machine manufacturers, and print service providers. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there is one that I can think of that was as close knit as SDM. Okay. Like Velo, for example. I was just curious. Velo, for example, has a partnership with a group of contract manufacturers, and they work very closely together on the backside. But Velo is a totally separate company. So, yeah, that would be different. EOS has something similar, but I don't think it's as closely knit. So, I don't think so. Okay. That, that just, I figured you'd know. I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. Yeah. But I've, I'm not aware of one. Okay. Well, I, I think that is interesting. That definitely, that's going to bring some changes for us. Yeah. Um, I think so. The sales side of things, it, it, it'll change things. I'm interested to see how 2023 goes with that kind of yeah looming. I'm interested too, because most of the interest in metal parts they're in metal parts. They're not in metal machines. So at least the conversations that we have right now, they are one are very introductory and we do a lot of educating. On Why is that? <clears throat> Don't you think that there is interest in machines and then they realize once how much they cost that it becomes parts? Well, ultimately everyone just wants parts, I think. Right. Ultimately everyone wants parts, but having the machine grants you a ton of different benefits but it's metal printing is still experimental in a lot of ways. Um, and the perception is that it's very immature mm-hmm. and so, and it's rapidly progressing. So I think that there are people get cold feet about investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into the millions of dollars into capital equipment for applications that they m- haven't really proven out yet. And in equipment that, you know, may become obsolete on a whim that's not likely but it's possible so i think those are those are some of the reasons why people will essentially come to us asking for some education on metal printing what are the different ways to print metal what are the pre-processing and post-processing steps what does it look like to do it in-house okay well let's just start by ordering some parts and and uh you know validate our applications and things like that so 
it was always great to have like a trusted source that we could connect people to for those metal parts. Um, so now we got to find, we got to find some new trusted partners there, I think. Yeah. That's news to me. I didn't know about this till, yeah. till <laughs> just now. Basically. No, I mean, yeah, pretty much now. I don't, I, I'm going to have to stew on that <laughs> one for a little while and think about how it's going to affect us. Yeah. It's a shift. It's a shift. I don't think it's the worst thing. I don't think it's the worst thing. I just think it, I could see the value of having it. Yeah. I just, there was a conflict of interest, I think. And maybe yeah. that's like, that's a big part of this decision, you know, when you're trying to sell machines, but then you have this whole other business that's just primarily focused on selling parts only. That's true. That's, that's true. You know, the other thing is, is if you look at the contract manufacturers out there right now, you are seeing quite a bit of consolidation. You know, last year was the last two years was the year where the OEMs were consolidating. You saw a lot of mergers and acquisitions. You did see some of that in contract manufacturing and the contract manufacturing side has continued that way. And you've seen uh, organizations which their primary service was just printing parts to either offering more than that, CNC machining, urethane casting, whatever, or being bought by other companies that offered more than that or vice versa, buying companies that offered more, to, more than that. And it's not all been roses. You had fast radius go bankrupt, which there was a lot of energy behind that and interest and they went completely bankrupt. So it's not an, it's not an easy business, especially if you're only offering print services. Things have definitely uh, calmed down. I just was thinking like things have calmed. Remember for a stretch there every week we were coming with yeah. like, this new acquisition, this just yeah. happened. So-and-so just bought so-and-so. Can you believe this? Stonks. Yeah, We were stonks. talking about all the time. This was a, border, a borderline down. investment uh, podcast for a while. Yeah, I mean, the, the that was some serious waves. It was exciting. Happening. Finally, we're on some Do you calm. miss those times? <laughs> no, actually, I realized like I'm. it was refreshing to chill out for a while and see how some of these investments have worked for these other companies. Yeah. And uh, kind of see how they they've maintained some separation, some yeah. of them, or yeah. how they've fully pulled them in. You know, like Stratasys, for example. You know, it was a full rebranding of some other brands, and now it's like part of the Stratasys lineup. Whereas I've noticed with other companies, there's still some dividers between the companies, and it still seems like it's kind of business as usual. But we own you now, um, kind of stuff going on. Yeah. But you know, it's. The you know, thinking back at that time, it was strange because I felt like one, I felt like our take was right. Like, Oh, with, with surprise, surprise. <laughs> you could go back and listen to our episodes though, talking about, I'm not going to name the companies, but some of the companies that had valuations that were astronomical, high, high, high. And we kind of poked a lot of holes in those. So I think that we were right, but not only were we right, we were contrarian too. We were right and we had opinions that were not broadly shared, I think, which is a good place to be. We didn't leverage it much, but that's the place where there's definitely opportunity for uh, like making the most out of being right is if you're right and no one no one else is right or few people are right. <laughs> you know, you're right and you're contrarian. 
I can't wait for you to title this episode. <sighs> we're right. <laughs> we were right all along. Uh, no, I, I, I see that. And it is kind of fun to be reflective. And I think it's important. And I do want to bring up one thing that we did not talk about. Okay. Uh, last episode. Um, and it was this, it has to do with kind of the partner meeting and just dealing with, uh, I shouldn't say dealing, that's probably not the right word, but having opportunity to be working with large OEMs and we don't just work with one, you know, uh, Stratasys is the primary one that we work with, but GoEngineer works with a couple others. And then Mm -hmm. obviously we have people from industry that have come from other places too, and their experience is similar. And the one thing that we've noticed is like projections mm-hmm. are always shaped like this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess if you're looking at this left from right, they're always, yeah. they're always ski ramping up. Yeah. Don't if, they look if, like just a perfect ski jump every time? If you're you project- on that, if you're on that 21 speed and you want to catch air, you're right at that angle. <laughs> right. I just don't know that we've ever been to one of those types of meetings and seen a graph like, hey, let's pull up the graph from 2015 and see how things actually went. Let's overlay the the graph from our projections to what really happened. These are growth projections, right? But they're measuring things like total addressable market. Yes. Or industry adoption or revenue or machine sales, whatever the metric is, almost always the projection is up and to the right. Yeah. Always. And I just wonder, like, is that helpful? Is that helpful for us? What do you think of the the perpetual growth curve? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a tough one because I'm I'm conflicted on this. I, oh, I, I love the optimism. The optimism is helpful, I think. It you And you need that. You need like, hey, look at all the future opportunity we have. Sure. But what about, why is it never like, I don't know. I don't want to say never. I don't want to use words like that anymore. But just here's what's available to us now. Yeah. That we're missing. Or, and here here's some data that shows that. Um, what's, what's available in the present. Yeah. And... I think when you get like board members involved and all the big, big wigs involved, they love to see those graphs, right? It makes sense. They're, they're nice looking. Um, and you want to see a good positive outlook toward the future. But the reality is we don't really know. That's true. Um, we don't, we don't know, you know, we can make projections. Yeah. Educated guesses. Well, I think, you know, it's the trend lines that bother me the most, I think. Because you'll have, you'll have, say, the bar graphs, Mm -hmm. and then you'll have the trend line overlaid on top of that bar graph, and they'll pick up on the smallest trend and then just project that way out. Well, and I, I, yeah. And like, I I can see a flat line too. Mm -hmm. That even makes sense to me, where it's Mm -hmm. a flat projection line, and you just, you have some historical data that made a pretty flat upward trend. Yeah. Right? Keep it flat. Yeah. Keep, keep it flat. But is it ever flat beyond present time? It always goes no, like this. It Yeep. never is. It never is. Why? Well, it's because I don't think that these graphs serve a purpose based in entirely in reality. <laughs> they, they serve a purpose of like promoting optimism and uh, pursuing growth. 
You know, you're never going to. Maybe that's why we're not the we're not on the board. I just think we're it's not the leaders of any company because we don't exist in that <laughs> world. I don't know how seriously anyone takes those. Does that make sense? Oof, that's that hurts. It hurts to hear. If I was someone who was creating these projections, you know that there's some fluff involved. And don't you love like those the there was a TED talk on this and he showed a graph with all these points of data and okay. it showed a trend. Okay. It, it, there was, you know, if you took an average line of all those data points, it created this nice linear uh, progression. Okay. But there was this data point down here. Oh, and yeah. A data point out. And he's like, oh, ignore those. Those are yeah, 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 those yeah. are outliers. Like, just totally. ignore those. Totally. It's like we do that a ton. I think the data is pretty unreliable in sales, yeah. particularly because like we're it hinges on so many different industries, right? Like the, the sale of a Stratasys, for example, or Mark Forged or MakerBot, they're all marketing to kind of similar people, but these people are in, have so many applications. There's so many different, right? If automotive is the only application we're focused on, there's still hundreds more verticals or whatever that are working, Yeah, you know, in the meantime. Totally. So I, I just think we pick and choose the things that like look yeah. like they're going to help us trend upwards or, oh, yeah, this this <clears throat> particular vertical is experience, yeah. gr experiencing growth right now. So well, that'll probably double. Right. Like if if we're looking at EVs, for example, but we don't know, maybe tomorrow. I, actually, I've seen a lot of stuff. EVs are now kind of it seems like it's making a shift more toward hybrid technology. OK. Or other alternative fuel sources like EV was the big thing and it still is. I'm not saying it's not, but if I were to make some guesses, I think hybrid technology is going to start taking over. So you still have some internal combustion engine capability, uh, even if they go with an alternative fuel. My point being, like, if you hinge everything on EVs, what if, you know, the trend isn't EV anymore? What if in 2025 the industry decides, hey, we found a more economical model right. and our consumers want sustainability and they want this, that, the other, and we can give it to them with this other product right. that changes the game, well, especially if it relies on old tech. You can never predict the future, right? You, can, you can't predict what innovations we, we or what pandemics or what things going to happen, but we do have to, we predict the future and it's in an effort to tell a story. It's a narrative. And I think maybe data, data analysts are the best storytellers of all, because as much as they want ah, to say they get to the choose data, what they omit, though, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So there's always a narrative there and they are picking and choosing what data sets to include. You know, there's always one more thing that you could try to incorporate into your model. There's always one more thing, but you do have to cut it off at some point because you have limited capacity to incorporate everything, model everything, whatever. So it's a story of optimism and it attracts investment and attracts people's interests, talent, that sort of thing. So I think it's helpful, but in the back of everyone's minds, I do think that people are aware of that and they think, what if well, we did away with them altogether? Well, then how do you attract investment? Great question. 
I don't know. What are, what's, what, what, why would someone invest in whatever you have to offer if there's no opportunity for growth there? I just think it's an interesting thing. I agree with you. To put these lies down on paper. It's but not, you don't, I wouldn't call it a lie. You call it a projection. You, yeah, it's a projection. It's a, it's, predi- it's not it's a, a prediction. It's not a lie because it's a prediction and you can be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like you're allowed to be wrong. You're going to be wrong. We are all the time. You, no, here's the thing. I am. You know you're going to be wrong, but you don't know if you're going to underestimate or overestimate it and to what degree. But 100% here's, certain you're going to be wrong. Here's where it, here's my beef with it. When you're held accountable to that level of growth, and also when you overachieve, it's like we overachieved. Everyone did such a great job. And and most everyone else is like, well, I just did the normal job that I always do. It just yeah, yeah. worked out better. Or if it goes under, it's like I still just did the normal job that I always do. I just didn't perform very well. But that's the standard for performance. And it's just a projection. Yeah, that's what I find interesting. So company performance, I think, is it's just Something I've been thinking about a lot. I'm not saying I know any better. I don't own a company. I'm not a C-level anything. Well, the, the interesting thing is that if you look at company valuations, especially public, public companies, so shareholders own the companies, the value is dictated by the shareholders, what they're willing to pay for a share or what they're going to sell a share for. And it, it's usually not so much based on actual nominal performance. It's based on the expectation of performance. So it's actually in company's best interest to be as accurate as possible because if they overestimate and then underperform, that's going to significantly hurt their value, their valuation versus if they underestimated and then overperformed, it would improve it. So there are consequences to sharing overestimations and there's probably aspects of that where you probably want to underestimate, but it depends on your goal. And like the, what data are you actually presenting and to what audience and at what time period, et cetera, it's all going to change, but it's all projections. And I think everyone knows in the back of their head, these are not meant to be accurate. They're just stories. Do you still think that we're hanging on? Uh, we've talked about these graphs in the past that are just 3d printing in general, like as an industry, people are waiting for that just straight up um, mm-hmm. market innovation that, makes yeah. everything explode again are we do people do you think people think we're still at the bottom waiting for this other thing to peak or do you think we're at the point where it's like 3d printing is what it is for right now um things are going to level off i mean it's totally subjective you and i live and breathe 3d printing every day and uh you know on some level it, it starts to become our whole world and on another level we become jaded and like it it we're kind of blind to the importance of or significance of certain stories. So it's totally subjective. If you ask, ask the average person, they'd probably think 3D printing is up and coming just like some of these other technologies that you and I talk about from more of a layman perspective yeah. and we get excited about. But if you talk to someone in machine learning, they'd be like, yeah, what OpenAI does is not innovative. They just wrapped it up really well, but all of those algorithms existed for 20 years. And they would have they could easily downplay it and be rooted in some sort of truth there. So Hmm. it's hard to say. You know what I think, right? The trend for 2023 is where the improvements are materials. I hope so. 
I still think there's such a big part of the market, and this kind of goes in line with what we talked about last episode, that just don't know. Like, I had a customer today that was like, I want the best of everything. You know, I want to be printing in Pet G. Yeah. And I was Whoa. like, yeah. Pet G, dude, there's a lot better than it's Pet G. It's probably the best at something. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but I just, I remember when I thought Pet G was the ultimate printing yeah, yeah, material. Yeah. There's still plenty of people that think that. Um, and like you said, it is probably the best for something, for some specific application. Yeah. Um, Sustainability, maybe? But I just think, <laughs> like, as people start to realize that there are these other materials out there, and I think, you know, this is tooting our own horn here. I, I'll, I'll do it. But Stratasys with the OpenAM platform, uh, the ability to use some outsiders' materials that are validated on their systems or even not validated. So cool. I mean, it'll be yeah. opened up to basically any third-party uh, material provider that's willing to provide filament of the right size, so you're good. Yeah, and these materials ain't cheap. That Victrex Vic, material, yeah. mama. Yeah. It's expensive. Right. Which but is, it's good stuff. It's, it's a, that's a roadblock to serial production, you know, adoption of the use, the use of it in heavy amounts. But It just we'll, means we'll you have there. to know why you need it. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. We'll we're running, there. we're running low on time. Yep. We don't, we don't got no time for YouTube of the day. Yeah. I've and got a meeting in one minute. <laughs> go get to your meeting. Thanks uh, for this episode. We got plenty to talk about on the next one. Let's uh, do it. I'll make sure I bring a list. All right, cool. Okay. See ya. See ya. <laughs>